Diversity, it might be what's holding your team back and you may not know it yet and may not know how to solve it. For that reason, I'm really excited to tell you that Data Futurology has established a partnership with She Loves Data and we're doing a series dedicated on improving diversity in your organization, in your teams, in your workplace, so you can get the most value out of your teams, out of your data and create products that the market really wants. Tune in every week as we speak with executives and female leaders from all over the world on how they have targeted and improved the diversity on their teams. And you can find out what we can learn from them. We are thrilled as a She Loves Data to be part of the Tough Futurology podcast, where we will showcase some female leaders, but the leaders from tech industry. And we will be talking about strategies, about data, about biases, and about diversity. Join us. I wanted to say a big thank you to our sponsors. One of our sponsors is Shine Solutions Group. Shine Solution Group is a technology consultancy that has been empowering their enterprise and government partners with pragmatic technology solutions for over 20 years. Learn more at shinesolutions.com. Also a big thank you to SAS, giving you the power to know. Through innovative software and services, SAS empowers and inspires data advocates around the world to transform data into intelligence. Committed to diversity, did you know about the Women in Analytics Network that they have? It's a SaaS-sponsored networking program aimed to strengthen diversity in the analytics field. Check it out in the show notes below. They're definitely committed to it as they're helping us with this diversity series too. I also would like to tell you about Growing Data. Growing Data is a consultancy that helps organizations unlock the full potential of their data. They work with some of Australia's most successful organizations from finance. They work with people like ANZ Bank, through to biotechnology companies like CSL, and all the way to construction, working with companies like Metricon. They help these and many more companies solve their most challenging data-related problems in analytics, machine learning, data engineering, and data governance. While I was at ANZ Bank, I got the pleasure to work with the team at Growing Data, and I can tell you for a fact, they are top-notch. I highly recommend Growing Data. Find out more at growingdata.com.au. Also, a big thank you to Talent Insights. Talent Insights are Australia's leading data specialist recruitment business. They are experts in recruitment strategy and delivery for analytics and data teams. They are the go-to recruitment business for all your data roles in Australia, and they can help both with permanent hires and short-term project-focused data resources. I've used Talent Insights in the past, and I've always found them fantastic to work with. Visit them at talentinsights.com.au. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Data Futurology on our series with She Loves Data, focusing on leadership and diversity and the special value that women bring to the high-level roles in the space. My name is Felipe Flores. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. Today, we are joined from the She Loves Data side by Renee again. Uh, Renee and I did one episode before. I really enjoyed it. Renee, looking forward to doing another episode together. How are you doing? I'm great. I feel the same, Felipe. It was a great conversation and looking forward to having Kate with us too. 
Uh, and our special guest is Kate Caruthers. Kate is the Chief Data and Insights Officer at UNSW. Uh, she's also part of the advisory board at the Data Analytics Center of the New South Wales government, which are doing a lot of interesting work. And uh, Kate joins us today from, um, from the university perspective too has a lot of experience and I'm very keen to uh, pick your brain on everything you've done to date and your views on the industry. Uh, Kate, welcome. How are you doing today? I'm very well. Thank you very much for having me. Looking forward to our conversation. Same. So much. Um, so I thought I'd kick us off by uh, asking you, Kate, about your your origin story and how um, how was it that you were that you carved the path to get to where you are today. Um, I know by, by you know, doing a bit of research and, and speaking to people that we know uh, that you've had a tremendously interesting journey and, uh, and quite a unique one. So uh, could, you, could you tell us a little bit about uh, your background and how, how you got to where you are today? Yes, well, my origin story is, is not your average one for someone in this kind of role or in any kind of IT role. Um, so I, I started out doing an arts degree. I was doing history, philosophy and anthropology and um, ended up, though, working in, in banking and finance and got into IT because I realised that that was a really dynamic area and I really enjoyed it. So that was uh, what I start, how I started. And I literally got my start in IT by being in the kitchen of the National Trust and making a comment about the network to the executive director. And she said, you sound like you know what you're doing. You should be in charge. I was like, sure. <laughs> and since then, I've spent over 20 years working in various IT roles from right, done everything from, from help desk to data warehousing to network support. So I've done all of those sorts of things. But I ended up mostly doing big projects. And I really like doing big things in large organisations, I realised. Interesting. And what was it that drew you into, into the big projects? Um, I like doing big things, things, things that make an impact for an organisation. And, you know, um, some of those big projects, when well executed, can really revolutionise an organisation. And I really like that opportunity to be, be part of changing the game. Uh, and that, that's kind of how I ended up in data too, because I started, I was basically working as a digital strategist and I started to realise that data underpins everything to do with the digital transformation that we're all undergoing. So that's how I got interested in data. And then I got a job at the university and I complained about something and they said, you should apply for this job. So that's how I got this job. I applied and got this job. But isn't that, um, I, I love that. I love that, that that's, that that's happened um, a number of times in your in your career that you are um, you know able to see how things could be done better in 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 other areas that you're not just sort of blindly focused on like on your patch of the grass that you that you're thinking more broadly and you uh, you think widely and and you see how other areas could be done better and then you voice you voice those concerns. And I think I think people really respect that, and and it's something that is very valued um, in in different organisations, obviously across academia and uh, business, uh, and and then um, and then that I guess helps or starts the conversation about how you could help solve the problems that that you see um, 
is that how how did that come about for you? Is that is that um, natural natural for you? Is that yeah, uh, that's natural? And and I say yes a lot. So when when new opportunities come up, I have a tendency to say yes because I'm very change ready. I'm at the front end of that change curve, not one of the people at the back end of the change curve. And I think that's so important because it gives you more opportunities because when things come up, you give it a try and you might fail, but you might not. So I, I've succeeded more than I failed on average. That's, that is great. That is great. And, and um, do you have uh, particular approaches that um, help you think about how other areas could be done better if it's, if it's not sort of uh, directly under your current remit, but are, are areas that maybe you have an interest in or, or things that you, um, how do you think about areas that are not uh, directly in front of you and, and the, the potential problems that those might have? Well, I, I'm a very curious person, but the main thing I do is listen. Uh, I don't, I'm not an expert. Other people are the experts in their parts of the business. And when I listen to them, then I can find ways that I can help them with my skill set or my team's skill set. And it seems to be one of the fundamental things that a lot of people don't do is actually just wander around, talk to people and listen. And then that's so interesting. And, um, and um, but so what, what are some of, I agree, I totally agree that, that there's not enough um, listening happening and definitely sort of deep listening uh, and, and trying to find out what are the, the inconsistencies or the potential problems that people might feel, might see, especially if they're experts, but they may not be voicing. Um, so it sounds like you definitely do do that. And what what are the other uh, skills or skill sets um, that that you would say that that you have uh, to to help them from that point on? Uh, so so I'm I'm very inclusive. So what I have tendency to do is bring people together in the old days when we could all have coffee you know I'd say just let's let's get a bunch of people together and have coffee and talk about this and bring together all the different perspectives and uh still still doing it using technology like zoom and teams and things uh but getting everybody together because in the modern world it's much more complex and no one person has the solution to the problems it's a it needs to be a collaborative effort and if you don't bring people together, you don't get the best solutions. So you don't get that diversity of thinking from, from the different perspectives. And that bring, brings a better and richer solution for the most part, I find. Yeah. Uh, Kate, like my, I'm sitting here quite quietly, but what's going on in my head, there's so many bells going off about all the things you're saying are so connecting with um, me and, and my values and my beliefs. Um, I'm also, I'm a poli-sci anthropology <laughs> background. And I'm thinking about a lot of our She Loves Data audience that will be listening to this podcast. And um, I know that they'll be curious about how you, you made that transition from a very arts background to a, um, a more technical background. And, and also as someone who I've worked in academia and in school settings most of my career as well, I'm just curious about the work that you're doing at the university, um, the kind of data sets that you're using and how um, your team are maybe driving some of the decisions that the university is making particularly when it comes to workforce development because obviously you're very much the breeding ground for that. So sorry, that's a, that's a super packed question. I'll deal with my career first. Yeah. Um, 
I, I had no interest in computers at school and it was only after I got a job when I, when I left university and got a job and I started to use computers that I could see what value they could provide and how they could make things much more efficient. And so I started playing around with them myself in my own time and then I was given this opportunity in the kitchen of the National Trust a long time ago to run the IT systems. I literally knew nothing, but I knew more than my boss. That was all I needed. And so I was on a hugely steep learning curve uh, in that job because I had I was respons- suddenly responsible for all computer systems in an organisation and I had no idea what I was doing. I was like those dogs in the pictures going, I don't know what I'm doing. That was me. Um, but, you know, I got up speed and I really, really had a great opportunity there and I took it. And then I decided to, my boss was a woman called Wendy McCarthy, who's a really great feminist leader to have. And she said to me one day, what are you doing about your career? And I was like, what, what What career? I had no idea that I could have a career. So I started to think about that. And about a couple of years after that, I decided I'd go and get a job in a bank. And so I got a job in a bank and start, moved into their IT team and then started working on projects and things. So I was in IT from then on. Uh, but it was that really steep learning curve that I embraced in those very early days where I just read, I talked to people, I went to meetups, I did everything I could. And then there was a moment where I was like, oh, my God, IT is so huge, I can't know everything yeah. and I have to be okay with that. And so that was when I started, you know, realising that you can only be deep in a certain number of things. You can't be deep in everything in IT. Um, and then I worked on a couple of big data warehousing projects uh, in uh, financial services and insurance. And that's what gave me the basis for, for this job that I've got. Uh, so uh, a number of years went by and I ended up in this role. And my role at the uni has responsibility broadly for data, for all the data in the organisation. So that's a lot. Yeah. Uh, just to give you an idea of how much data, when I had, when I first started there, I was wandering around the engineering faculty talking to researchers just to try and get an idea of how much data we were managing. And in the first corridor, in the first three offices, I got to exabytes and I couldn't do the math in my head anymore. And I just sat, was, oh, we've got a lot of data. So that was just in three offices in the university, not anywhere. So, so, and at the university, we, we have three parts to the organisation or three realms. So there's the administration, the running of it as a business, which is very much like any other organisation, like a bank or, you know, any, any other kind of organisation. We have all the enterprise systems that normal organisations have. And then there's learning and teaching, which has a specific set of technologies and is really about Uh, delivering education to students. And then there's research where our researchers are literally researching anything you can imagine. So we do everything from uh, clinical patient trials, a lot of COVID patient stuff at the moment, uh, to downloads from satellites. Uh, We take core samples from from petroleum engineering and run them through CT scans. So we've got all the different kinds of data you can possibly imagine. Um, and I was appointed to this role in late 2014 and I sort of went, oh, my God, what have I done? Because we, we never had a chief data officer. And I think the evolution in my title is really interesting. So my job hasn't changed, but I've had three titles. So I started out as chief data officer and then I became chief data and analytics officer and now I'm chief data and insights officer. 
And I think that interest is an interesting trajectory because it tells what other people want from me, not so much what I'm doing. So I'm still doing the same things I've always done. So the first thing that I wanted to do was to implement a data and information governance program because if you don't know what data you have and you're not governing it and you're not understanding it, then having a data strategy is kind of moot. Uh, so I started out in late 2014 to establish the data and information governance program. Uh, and we as an organisation have had uh, a legacy um, data warehouse for about 15 years. So we were a pretty early adopter to data warehouse technology. And um, a couple of years ago, I realised that the legacy technology was just too slow. We were too slow to turn stuff around. And my team were the report writers for the whole university, really small team. And all we did was disappoint people. So we so we actually set about devising a new data strategy. So we did that in the end of 2018. And we knew we had to be faster to market. We needed to be able to manage stuff with a really small team. And we actually had to rethink what we did and what our role was in the organisation. So that was a big thing. And so what we did was we reconceptualised ourselves as being from being the report writers to being the data engineers. So we manage the automated pipelines and manage the modelling of the data. And then we expose that to business subject matter experts who can then develop their own dashboards and reports. So we're really trying to democratise data access in the organisation. So that's that's been sort of the, the journey. Data, gov data and information governance first, then the data strategy, then build the data platform. And now we're doing some proofs of concept with uh, AI and machine learning. So oh, that's and the fun stuff. And, and you told that so well because it really, it answered both my questions and I think it's going to help our listeners sort of see that journey um, and see other opportunities where these kinds of careers exist um, because I think yours is a little kind of outside of the box from what normally people would think about when it comes to data careers. <laughs> yeah, and I was thinking um, that you seem, okay, you, seem like, you seem like you're a person that you're not defined by your, by your past. Um, and, and by that, I mean that sometimes when, when somebody, for example, studies a particular subject at university, they consciously or subconsciously limit themselves to career paths that are being based on that, um, on that um, university degree that they, that they got. And, and sometimes people stop themselves from deviating uh, from, from, what they're, from the background that they have. Uh, but... In in your case, by by it seems like that by having you know a curious a curious mind and and being up for for challenges that's led you to new to new grounds and and you're um, you are adaptable and you're learning on on the on the fly and you're able to move to to new areas um, obviously really really well. Um, where where do you think that that comes from? I guess that that that. Maybe belief, belief in, in, is it, or I should ask, what, what do you think is the, the ingredient that propels you to new grounds um, over time? Is it, is it a belief in yourself? Is it, is it um, just the, the curiosity? Are you focusing on the problems that could be solved? Um, what, what, yeah, what would you say has, has helped you on that journey going to new areas uh, time after time? Well, I think, I think one thing you want to note that's really worth noting, the job I do now did not exist when I left high school. 
So there was, and it didn't exist when I was an undergraduate. So there was no way to train for this job. And the jobs of the future will be just like that. So what I think has driven me has been, I like to solve problems. I like to uh, work collaboratively with smart people. And I, I, like, I am curious and I like to learn new things. And so I've got three criteria for a new job. It has to be uh, an interesting role that does something meaningful and important. It's got to be something that I get to work with smart, motivated people. And it needs to be something where I can put, where I can pull together interesting things. And I actually had somatic analysis done on my blog a couple of years ago, and interesting is my most used word. Uh, so that's, that's probably what drives me. That's amazing. <laughs> um, no, really, really good. And, and I wanted to ask you about the, the journey that you've um, been taking in the, in the university and um, particularly with the, with the, the stage that sounds like you're, you know, moving almost out of uh, at the moment that the reporting side and and that focus on democratizing the access to data um, and sounds like empowering users to create their own uh, their own dashboards and and by that trying to reduce the um, the the bottlenecks that sometimes you know analytics teams become. Uh, because there's so much demand for analysis, but but uh, generally, like um, the the resources are, are constrained. How what has been your focus on that on that journey of allowing people to to create their own reports, analyze their own data? How has um, your teams and, and your area um, engaged with the rest of the organization? Involve them. What has what have you seen as your roles, and has that changed over time as the organizational maturity in this space has increased? There's some stuff that you can talk with the organization about, and we can we always consult really broadly. So we spent all of 2018 consulting on our data strategy, where we wanted to shift us from being the to being data engineers and build a new cloud-based platform and all of those things. Uh, and the problem that we actually found was that a lot of people in the business didn't actually have a mental map to put that on. So I had a vision for a serverless um, data platform that I didn't want us to be maintaining servers or anything. And when you explain nice. yourself to a normal person and just say, so would you like a serverless data lake? And they're going, so... Um, <laughs> We, we actually did a proof of concept um, in, in about September 2018 and we developed a, a serverless data lake and we had a goal in six weeks to load in, to load in some student data and build, five, build um, two dashboards. Three weeks into the proof of concept, we'd already done that and we'd already built five dashboards, so we called it done, demoed it to, the, to our business colleagues and they were just blown away by the stuff that we could reveal to them, the data that we unlocked that was in the systems all the time, but we'd never been able to show it to them with our old clunky legacy system. So all, all at once, we people understood the value of a serverless platform because it was so fast to develop because they saw the results and they suddenly had a mental map for what we wanted to do and we were able to then get funding and stuff. So a lot of the time you might know stuff technically that would be good for people but they need to understand it and they need to understand it in their own context. And that's a really important thing. So the proof of concept was really good. And they said, oh, yes, can we have one of those tomorrow, please? And I was like, I oh, know it'll take a couple of years. So we took 2019, 2020 to build out our platform and get all of our data and build all, automate all of our data plat 
pipelines. And my team, I'm so proud of my team. They were experts in our legacy platform, let me tell you. They were goddamn gurus. And I walked into them in January 2019 and said, I want us to move to a new platform. You won't even, you won't know anything. You need to start from zero. Um, and I expect you to learn all of these new languages. And they were just going, oh, my God. But they just stepped up and, and just went, show us it, show us it, let's do it. And they've been really great. And so now they're, now two years down the track, they're all experts. Yeah, on the new, on the whole, you know, new um new landscape and i do i do have to ask you uh, we've we've had um questions from the audience a couple of times when we have uh touched on on serverless technologies um the question is about data sovereignty and uh so we've had a few audience uh, um send in the question of can you control where the data resides when you're using serverless uh technology if you choose your vendor wisely, um, so we have production workloads running in Amazon Web Services and Azure, and both of those are in New South Wales jurisdiction. Uh, there are some minor things where some metadata does have to go overseas, but typically uh, no actual data. So all of our data is resident in Australia, in, our, in New South Wales jurisdiction, because universities is under New South Wales privacy jurisdiction, so we do like to keep it in in the state. Uh, although we have a data handling guideline that I developed, so in consult consultation with our colleagues in IT, uh, where we actually, we can say for the particular data classification, how the data needs to be handled and which jurisdiction is okay for that data to be in. Uh, so most of our data is sensitive, so it does need to stay in New South Wales. Uh, yeah. And there, there are different things for different um, for research data. Often we have contractual obligations to keep the data in in Australia as well. So we have to be very cloud, very particular when we're choosing a cloud platform, so that we don't accidentally breach our contractual obligations for our research data. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you. I'm going to jump in here, um, but this has been fascinating because I'm also on the verge of starting to develop a data strategy in my organization. So I'm taking lots of notes here, um, but I, I wanted to kind of bring it back to the topic and title of our, of our episode today, which is of course about the survey that was recently conducted by She Loves Data with a number of our, our member organizations. So of course we, we went out to them looking to um, understand how they're feeling about uh, looking towards the future, what, the, what careers will look like, particularly for women in this field or interested in entering this field. And I wondered, did you get a chance to look at our, our survey, Kate? Yes, it was fascinating. Yeah. Um, so a couple of things you've touched on, uh, particularly the word resilience. I think that's something that emerged both throughout the survey and also in our discussions with, we spoke to a workplace um, psychologist, a positive psychology expert. Um, and again, she reiterated how important resilience is going to be moving forward. So could, could I just ask you to share some reflections on, on what you thought of our survey results? I, I thought it was really telling, you know, there is a lot of other data, but women are losing out in this, in this pandemic. Um, so that, that was really reinforced to me through that. And also the number of women who were looking for other opportunities. Um, and I think, I think some of the stuff that we've touched on here about keeping an open mind and not boxing yourself in might be valuable for them to think about when they're thinking about what they do next. 
absolutely. Um, and I noted too that we, you know, we, when you look at the results, we had a lot that were sort of of that millennial generation, if you will. And I wondered if some of our results reflected on things you're also seeing at the university. And obviously that's a, a demographic you would be um, paying close attention to both with your current students and alumni moving on. Um, and you know, what kind of, um, what kind of incentives? How do we need to start to change in order to... And my team. <laughs> There's a bunch of millennials there too. Um, yeah. Um, so we, we had our first batch of um, data science um, people, that data science degree people go through. They finished last year. And they were... Uh, it was really fascinating because it was as if when they came to the uni, they found their tribe, the data nerds, um, and they found that there were other people like them who were excited by stats and stuff, you know. And, and it was really delightful to see them finding a community. And that's one thing that I would recommend to, to the women listening, that, that find a community that, of people like you, you know. Um, yes, yes, like that. Uh, because because when, you, when, you're, when you're alone when you're, or you're the only woman in the room, you don't always get all the perspectives that you might find valuable. So I really do recommend find, find groups that support you and find your tribe. And that's interesting that you're saying that your first batch of graduates of data scientists have only just graduated? Wow, that's amazing. So, I mean, that's indicative, too, of, of where careers are heading and the, you know, the, the education that will support that career development. Um, so, I mean, how, does, how did it make you feel when you saw our results that how many women want to actually move into data analytics and data science? I, I'm, well, I think they're really prescient because uh, it's the future. Like they talk about data being the new oil, but it's not. Data is an endless resource. Oil's not. Data is like the ultimate renewable <laughs> that, that's going to fuel everything in the future. And it's been increasing exponentially with COVID as everything's moved online. Uh, so, you know, a career in data is a good career. And I've always said a career in IT is a good career, but increasingly those jobs are shifting with the shift to cloud. So, you know, nobody, we won't need so many people to manage servers anymore because they're in the cloud, because people like me are moving to serverless or platform as a service solutions. So people who are interested in data are really well positioned for the future. The other thing I would say is, is if you're a data scientist, get some data engineering skills because you, you will actually find that if you're a data scientist, you're really constrained by your access to data engineering skills and there you never have enough of them. You never have enough data engineers. And um, data engineers get some data science skills because understanding stats is really, really useful in your job. So everybody should be a bit more curious than just in their own lane. I really think yeah. that's valuable for people. Oh. I couldn't could not agree more. I think uh, that's that is uh, fantastic, fantastic advice. And I, I do have to say, I have some people in my team who are currently doing uh, degrees at, at UNSW, the um, the Masters of Technology, focusing on data science, and the Master of Data Science as well. And, and I can see the the benefits that they're getting from the education and how much they're able to to contribute to the to the organization um, as as they go through their their masters. You know, more and more every semester. And um, and I've also really enjoyed seeing the or hearing about the the um, the industry uh, the industry exposure that they get where. Um, 
you guys have or seem to have a lot of a lot of direct industry contact and having people from the industry coming to to speak to the students directly uh, answering their questions and telling them you know what it's like uh, out there and and what's required for a for a good degree uh, for for to be successful in the workforce I think that that's that's fantastic um, and that's related to to the next point that I wanted to ask you is that based based on the on the survey um, there's a question around the the desired job situation and the, the highest um, the highest uh, voted response of what people wanted was to be promoted to have uh, better pay or benefits uh, have more responsibilities um, a lot of a lot of the people in uh, that that filled out the survey are thinking about their their career prospects and I guess uh, I wanted to ask you uh, about your, your advice for them, Kate. Uh, since um, you know, when when you had a, a, the conversation with with your manager that said, you know, are you, what are you thinking about your your career? Um, how has that played um, throughout your career? And thinking, um, obviously, more broader, more strategically, and and bigger about your career, um, which obviously you you've done uh, extremely well. Uh, what what are some some tips that you that you could give people that um, could or should and want to go on that on a similar journey. Let, let me tell you about about my team. Um, so we we often promote people internally, and and we promote them because they do things that are above their pay scale. So they they put their hand up to do things that are not part of their current job description, and that is how they get promoted. Um, so they will put their hand up to do a project, and if they do well on that, then then suddenly my eye is on them to say, oh, they're, they're I, I have to do a good job on the project. That's an important part of it. But but putting your hand up to do things that are not part of your normal job, in addition to your normal job, is how you get promoted. That's how I got promoted. That's what I've done all my career. And um, the other thing is how we recruit. We recruit for people who are, are good at executing. So you can have all the best education in the world. You can have 10 different data science degrees, but if you don't know how to deliver the results and you can't craft a narrative around them and you can't visualise them, then you're going to find it really difficult. So you need to build up your skills across. You need to understand what the people who are going to be consuming your data want because they really want insights. They don't want data. Data on its own is nothing. It's the insight that's valuable. And they, that's what everybody's trying to find, people who can help them find the insights. And, and to do that, you need to understand data and you need to understand how to bring it together and how to aggregate it and, and how to present it and how to do it safely. The other thing is how do you do it while preserving privacy and security and all of those things. So I think you need to have a broader interest than just data. So if you're in data, you need to be also interested in security you also need to be interested in data and information governance because you need to understand how all of those things work so you can do your work safely. Yeah, that is that is too true, too true. And I was going to say, I um, I've seen you know with with um, firsthand and with my team at the moment that when there are opportunities for work that is of high visibility um, or, or or going you know above and beyond, even even people who are uh, quite hardworking. Sometimes they don't they don't notice the opportunity when it comes by, and they don't 
put their hand up and, and go ahead with it. And um, recently, so I work in a, in a healthcare AI company and it's a, it's a small, medium-sized company. It's about 55 people. Um, so we have uh, direct access to the CEO. My team has direct access to the CEO and to the clients and et cetera. We had a request come in for a piece of analysis from the CEO. And um, I, as an experiment, I put it to the team. So, um, you know, 10 sort of the analytics and, and data science people. And I said, who would like to, to work on this? And people were like, oh, well, I'm working on this other thing. And, and it's not that they were uh, afraid or retreating from the challenge. They, they all felt like it was in their capabilities, but it was additional work and obviously high exposure work. And um, it ended up going almost to the last person who said no, instead of the first person who said yes. And I was like, you're all, you know, competent, hardworking people who in, in some cases, um, you know, can get blindsided with, with the, the work that they're doing instead of having that broader perspective to be able to realize the opportunities that may come their way. And I, I thought that that's, that's something that um, one of the many things that you've done so well um, in, your, in your career, Kate, I think is, is keeping, um, keeping a fresh and open perspective. Sorry? I do, I do think, though, that as leaders, it's our obligation to make space in the workplace for people to do this kind of thing. So we work in an agile methodology. We have fortnightly sprints, so we have a new sprint every two weeks. So if someone puts their hand up to do something over and above, that will get factored into our sprint planning mm-hmm. and will get scheduled. So we, we don't expect them to do it in their own time. We just say it's not part of your job, but if you want this opportunity, you can you can have a go at this. And we've, we've got very strict processes of architecture and design review and code review. So we're not going to ship anything that's rubbish anyway. So it's a pretty safe environment that we create. And I think a safe work environment is really important, a psychologically safe one where you know they're not going, we're not going to let you put anything in production that's not good. So even, even if you do take that chance, you've got people around you to check your work and make sure it's correct because that makes it really scary. If you're just totally on your own doing something like that, that's a real risk. Yeah. Um, I was thinking our conversation was really focused very much on the individual and and the um, responsibility they needed to take to develop as professionals. But I was going to jump in and start to ask about how you're creating the kind of, in your case, you were touching on sort of the team environment, but also what's the organizational's responsibility to create that kind of environment, not just for professional learning, but also for overall wellness. Um, And just, you know, there's a lot of talk about how, you know, organizations need to help their employees find more of a balance. And certainly um, Cheyenne, whose video will, will, we'll have in the link later on, um, she touched on that too, that the responsibility of organizations, of the leaders within the organizations, and also even government. Um, So, I mean, how is the university um, helping you as a leader of your team and and its employees do those kinds of things? Well, we're now, our broader department, we run a a really weird team. Um, So we, we actually... We have people who are who directly report to us, but we run them as a as a team. So we plan plan centrally, and we allocate the work across centrally. Um, so we're pretty unusual in the university, is is how we work. Um, the university has lots of good good policies and procedures and and programs to support us in, with wellness and stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, for your team, you've got to create a safe environment yourself. 
um, external to the internal to the organization, but it has to be separate. Um, and how you organize your work and how it's and how you can be inclusive. And you know, like we don't have meetings um, before nine o'clock. We don't have meetings after four thirty with our teams, you know, so we don't do anything that will exclude people who have to go and pick the kids up. And in my team, we we just care about the output. So if somebody needs to go, like one of my manager of insights today, she's offered her son's graduation because that's a much more important thing and she's taking care of all of her work because she's a responsible human being. So we, we just have this attitude that everybody on our team is a responsible human being and is responsible for managing their work and letting us know if they can't. And we just leave them to do it. And it's nice to see, we're, I think we are starting to see more data that's backing that up, you know, proof that organizations that are more open and flexible and create these safe environments tend to be the more innovative um, institutions as well, I think. Yeah, and, and we, you know, we, we have very low turnover um, and people like working with us. Uh, and what we're doing now is we're bringing analytics teams from all around the university into work collaboratively with us. Uh, so we're kind of growing our ability to reach out by bringing other people in. So we don't have to build everything, but we build it all off our curated data lake and data warehouse so that we're building off the same platform. And that's really good because then we actually learn from each other because yeah. we don't know everything. So this is having this sense of I don't know everything and being not afraid to say that is actually a really valuable skill in your career. It is. And it comes back to something that's central to She Loves Data. And you said this earlier, too. It's about the diversity, too. Um, so I was wondering if you could maybe speak to how, um, how the university, how your team is addressing diversity, particularly in a, a field that is not seeing it needs to work on its diversity, which is why organizations like She Loves Data is, is here to try and help promote and drive that. But what are you seeing on the ground? Uh, well, our team, so our business unit, our entire business unit is a matriarchy. Um, and we are the university's data middle women, even the men are data middle women. So um, I'll, I'll put that on the table. So our team is a matriarchy. Our, our The provost, our big boss is a woman, our our director is a woman. There's two women on the senior leadership team, um, you know, so, and there's in my team, the manager of my insights team is a woman. We've got a female senior data engineer, you know, we've got women all over the place. But, you know, one thing that was a real game changer for us was about six years ago when we actually started running our position descriptions and job ads through a gender assessor. So we could strip out all that, that biased language. And we, at one stage, had an all-female team. Wow. Fascinating. And then, and then, we, got, then we got some more diversity. We, we ended up with, with a gay guy. And then we, you know, so we've got some men back in the team over time. Uh, but, but we've got a lot of diversity in the team by, by taking all of that bias out of those job ads. That was just, it was really astonishing how that improved our field of candidates. That's so encouraging to hear. Yeah, that is incredible. Um, and, and I think, I think it's, it's related to, to something I wanted to, to ask you about the, uh, that you know, you, once you once you build a, a good team, you have you have good people. Um, there is there is uh, because usually the 
the expectation, not the expectation, but the desire that people want um, want maybe more from their job or want to, they want to move on uh, to bigger and better things. And, and it was one of the things that came out in the survey quite strongly. Um, a lot of people, most people said that they, they consider changing a job when they feel like they need a job that's more fulfilling or offers more personal growth. So I was going to ask you, Kate, from, from both sides, I guess, from uh, what advice would you have for people who are in that situation? And then what advice would you have for managers um, that, um, that want to avoid that situation and that, uh, you know, you, you've been doing so well in your team? Oh, I'll, I'll come to that. One thing that's really important is, is at some stage in your career when you're going to be faced with the choice of staying technical or going management, and you need to make that choice with a really great deal of consciousness because management's not fun for everybody and not everybody's good at it. Um, so just be aware of that juncture when you get there and it's okay to stay technical. Some of my best friends are very technical. Um, and um, I think the, the advice that I would give people is look, look for opportunities that are interesting, that align with your values. Don't, don't just grab a job and get stuck in a company that you don't like the values of because that's really soul-destroying and it's unpleasant. I've done it and don't do it. Um, and as a leader, you have to have opportunities for people to grow because their skills do increase and you need to rec be able to recognise that. And that's that's why we try to, uh, try to promote from within our team rather than hire people in. So whenever we have a promotion opportunity, everybody can apply for it. And, you know, we've pretty much promoted all of our senior positions were all filled internally by people who came in at quite low grades and progressed up. Uh, and we like to recognise people's growth in, in their skills and and it's always a delight, like um, one particular girl, young woman on our team, she's just a star. She came in as a junior and she's now uh, one of our lead analysts and she's just brilliant. Um, but she re she really de demonstrated a couple of key things when she came in. She was super smart. She had good technical skills, uh, but she was also curious and cooperative and collaborative. And if you have all of those things, then I think you, your career will go anyway. And people will like working with you because people tend to like people like that. Yeah, it is so, so true. So true. Um, no, thank you. Thank you for that. That, that, is, that is fantastic. Um, and, and I guess changing, changing tack, uh, uh, tact a little bit, you, I wanted to ask you about um, what got you excited at the moment. What's, what's occupying your, your mind, your mind space, uh, the type of exciting work that you guys have coming up at the university? Obviously, whatever you, you can share, uh, but you mentioned early on that you're um, transitioning from, from the area of building the, the reports and the, the analytics to, to more of an AI uh, focus. What are some of the initiatives that you're working on that have you uh, excited that you could share with us? We're doing a couple of uh, machine learning proofs of concept at the moment um, with Microsoft and our, our partner Insight. Uh, we're doing one, we, we do a whole lot of modelling about the student load and that's really important now that COVID has hit us because we uh, suffered 
from the uh, inability of the international students to get here on shore. So uh, we've had to remodel that and we do quite complex modeling. Uh, so powering that by ML is going to be really is a real game changer for us. So we're just signing off on our first proof of concept now. Uh, we, we should see the results next week. And we're also doing one um, about contract cheating. You might not know what this means, but uh, it's where students hire someone to write them write their assignments or their exams. And um, it's, a, it's an increasing problem now that everybody's learning online. So, and it can't get picked up by a plagiarism checker because it's a unique, special, bespoke assignment. Wow. Yeah. And it's really bad because when the students sign up for this, not only did they get their assignment, but they also get blackmailed when they graduate. So it's really, really, it's, COVID has created business opportunities for everyone, even the bad people. Um, so we're doing, we, we've got a hypothesis for how we can detect this and we're going to test it on our historical data. And if that proves correct, that we can identify the known instances of contract cheating in the past, we will start to do some predictive analysis. And then our goal with that would be to try and do an intervention so we, we would detect when a student was likely to do it and intervene to stop them even having that conversation so that we could stop the bad consequences that they suffer. That's really good. That's a really interesting application. Um, and, and I guess also a nice way to go about the execution of, of, that, um, of that capability. Um, oh, it's really exciting. It's really, sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt. Oh, this is good. I'm quite excited about this. So, so it's going to be across multi-clouds. Uh, it's going to be using some um, IoT streaming technology. So we're going to get, use IoT streaming technology to go and rifle through the data in, in Amazon and bring it back to Azure and analyze it. So it'll be, it, it's, we're quite excited about this one. We think it's going to be really fun. That's, that's incredible. And what's, what's the data that's being um, captured through IoT? To tell you. I can't disclose that. Okay. Yeah. No. All good. I was just. Um... I have to kill you. Don't worry. <laughs> no worries. So, Renee, you were going to say. I was going to just ask. And are you collaborating on that with other universities? Is. Uh, no, not at the moment. It's just us as a proof of concept at the moment. Um, we've we've had this idea for for like the last year, and we've finally with COVID. This year didn't go as we'd actually planned. We planned to do this proof of concept in about March when we all got sent home. Uh, so we're finally getting around to it. We'll probably start it early next year now. But um, we're really quite excited about this one because, A, we get to play with some new um, IoT technology that we're really keen to do. Plus, we get to collaborate with our colleagues in the Conduct and Integrity Unit who, we, who are really great. Um, and we will be able to help them scale. So this is a great thing where you where you understand what they're trying to do and there's only two people in that unit and this problem is growing, so they can't scale. So technology can really help them. So we can do something and, and in the long run, if we can stop students from doing contract cheating, we can stop them from being blackmailed forever. So it's a good thing to do anyway. It's a good social thing to do. So it works on so many levels. So it's a fun project for us, but it has a really good intention and a good outcome that we're focused on. Yeah. And again, another example of how collaboration is so key, like bringing so many people around the table um, to see how that infiltrates and impacts people short term and long term. Yeah. And this all started by conversation at the coffee cart 
with one of my colleagues who actually does checking for this stuff in manually. And I was right. like, surely technology can help you with this. And he's like, how can it? And, you know, so that's that was the genesis of it. It was a coffee cart conversation last year. And now we're finally going to get to do the proof of concept. That's amazing. That's incredible. Um, no, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I also wanted to ask you, Kate, with with everything that you've done uh, throughout your career, what what are you most proud of that you've that you've achieved so far? Um, probably, probably the thing that I'm most proud of at the moment is is my team. Just the way that they've responded, that they have really stepped up to embrace the new technology, have become really quite expert in it. So um, and are now able to go out and talk about it in, in intelligently in the world and. Um, and they're just delightful uh, and they're so open to new ideas and that A, that we found these people and B, that we've built them into a great team like that that can really achieve an awful lot because they're a really small team. So that, that's probably what I'm most proud of at the moment. That's great. That's amazing. I'm going to kind of take a different tack too and ask you, I, I noticed that you do a lot of volunteering and Felipe mentioned one of your advisory board roles that you play but um how do you think that this is your your role as a volunteer has contributed to your career development and even the development of your profession overall well I actually got into volunteering because when I got my first technology IT job in a bank um we we even started talking we realized that the men were paid more than us and um, we went to management and they said, go away. And so I started looking for another job and I realized I needed more skills. So I joined a professional association. And when I joined that, I started volunteering and I got made, made a lot of interesting contacts and was able to grow my knowledge by participating in the professional society, which was really good. And then I got, then I got a new job, which gave me a $40,000 pay increase, which was quite substantial back in those days. Um, so, you know, that actually was the combination of things that helped me progress my career quite substantially. Um, but I've always felt that you need to give back. So I've been involved in a lot of women in technology, women in engineering groups over the years. Um, and I really, really, really have wanted to help grow it because it was many years ago when I worked at AMP and I was an enterprise architect and I was sitting around the table, huge board table, and a woman came in and poured the coffee and I suddenly became conscious she was the only other woman in the room. And I thought that was a really bad thing. And that was in the late 90s, uh, so last century. And I, I hope it's over, but I know it's not in every part of, of technology. So if we can start to shift the game uh, to be more inclusive and to get more representation of women and minorities, then I'm there for it. That's amazing. That is fantastic. And that is a, a great note to end on. Um, I, I'm going to be respectful uh, of, your, of your time. And, you know, Kate, thank you so much uh, for sharing your, your journey, your insights, your perspectives. Uh, I, love, I love the way you roll. It's, uh, it's inspiring. And, and Renee, thank you so much uh, for coming in to do another episode. Uh, so it was so much fun co-hosting with you. Uh, uh, no, thank you. Thank you so much.